I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. When people in our community are applying for disability benefits, they're often in what can feel like an uphill battle. The process is long and can be downright confusing. Even when they're able to make it through the bureaucratic maze, keeping their benefits presents a new set of challenges. So how does this system work? How are people who are living with a disability making their lives work despite the difficulties? Later this hour, we'll bring you a special Citizen Nashville with some of the answers. But first, it's time for At Us. Yes, each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at the past week is our senior producer, Steve Harouche. Hey, Steve. Hey, Khalil. So, what have listeners been saying? Yeah, um, we've gotten a lot of good feedback this week. Um, last Thursday's show was all about foraging and preserving foods. Yes, and one of our guests, Alan, brought some delicious passion fruit. It's green. It's kind of like this green, glorious, jade-like pomegranate. It's delicious. I, I want more. Yeah, I think that was uh, the first time we had someone eating foraged food live on the radio. I might have to check the archives. But... I'll do it again. <laughs> anyway, uh, on that foraging front, um, we got a tweet at This Is Nashville from someone who shared your opinion. Uh, Joe Zikafus said, quote, can't say enough about how excited our family was to learn about the Maypop slash Passionflower a couple years ago. My wife is from Puerto Rico, and although it's not exactly the same as tropical passion fruit, it's very similar and easy to grow from roots, end quote. Oh, man, that episode was great. I am still thinking about when Katie Koss said she canned an entire chicken. That reminds me of a song. All right, we're not making ourselves hungry during showtime again, are we? <laughs> Look, Steve, I just want to say I've been there. <laughs> I, I think we all have. <laughs> Those of us who eat meat, that is. All right, so last Friday, the show was all about going to the Chapel of Love, mm -hmm. which just happened to be a day before the wedding of the one and only Marquise Munson, DJ over at our sister station, yes. WNXP. Absolutely wonderful. That was a fun one. And congratulations, Marquise. I hope you and Sarah are having a beautiful honeymoon. As you may recall, Khalil, that episode ended with a riding shotgun feature on board a bachelorette party bus. Yes. And if I remember right, it involved a penis squirt gun full of white claw. <laughs> it did indeed. Mm -hmm. One that many mouths had touched. Right. In fact. Right, right, right. Yes, it's all it's all coming back to me now. You know, for better or for worse now. I imagine that Nashvilleians have some feelings about this. I've come to learn that bachelorettes are a whole trigger warning for a lot of folks. Yeah, um, let's just say there were a lot of eye roll emojis. A lot of Nashville would be better off without these monstrosities, etc., as you can imagine. But also, a shout out to Andrea and Rose. 
We got a tweet from DixieGirl256 who said, I hope your producers got hazardous duty pay for riding those party buses. <laughs> Let's hope the station sprang for shots at the very least. Um, well, I'll, I'll leave that for other people to disclose. But uh, meanwhile, over on our Instagram, uh, Danny Hootenanny left a comment that said, If I had a dollar for every time a woo girl on a party wagon woke me up from a much-needed lunch break work nap, hmm. I'd have thousands of dollars. Go back to Michigan and tell your friends Nashville sucks. Wow. Wow. Um, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. Like I said, plenty of Nashvilleians hate these things. But I am a little jealous of anyone who gets to take a nap during lunchtime. Uh, same, same. Um, and, and, you know, whether you love them or hate them, we should keep in mind that there are real people in those big, big trucks, to coin a phrase. Uh, Rebecca Boynton hopped into that Instagram thread and said, quote, Try and remember that most of the hatred directed at bachelorettes is rooted deeply in misogyny. Let the ladies have fun and get messy while doing our part to ensure they stay safe. They, they stay safe. Thank you for doing your part to humanize women, WPLN. End quote. Uh, and then uh, under that one, there's a little message from Instagram that says, these comments were hidden because they be, may be misleading, offensive, or spam. Hmm. So did you read them? Well, I guess we do say we read the comments so you don't have to. So, <laughs> yes, I read the comments. But also, you still don't have to. Um, I'll just say they weren't misleading or spam. Okay. So, you know, what else have you got? Yeah. So uh, Tuesday's show, uh, this week, we learned more about the Laotian community here in Middle, Middle Tennessee, and in particular, the community in Murfreesboro that has been here since the 1970s. That was such a fun episode. It was great. And I'll definitely be heading to their New Year celebration in May. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like such a great time. Mm -hmm. um, field trip. Yes. Field trip. Um, Instagram user GetLuckyVegan left a comment on our Instagram saying, quote, Thank you for shining a light on the Lao community. We are a vibrant but often overlooked segment of the population of Middle Tennessee and the world. Through wisdom and compassion, may our people become healed wherever they may live. I love that. And to me, that felt like the theme of the show, like wherever they live, there is a real sense of community, even across distances. Yeah, for sure. Um, we also got to play some music on that show. From the queen of Lao country music in the United States. That's right. Uh, yeah, Paivan McAloon was was really delightful um, and a great singer. Um, and then we ended the show with a song that was performed by uh, Laotian American musician Katsana Valelik. We also included just a little bit of her kind of explaining the meaning behind the song. Um, but uh, since we didn't have time to play the whole thing, I thought it'd be nice to say just a little bit more about the song. So um, here she is talking about the story behind it, uh, which she learned uh, from a conversation with the composer, Ajahn Solsang Surivan. He said one day in 1962, a beautiful woman, Mam Manivon, came back from Cambodia to Vientiane to visit her family and relatives. She was seeking for him because she heard a song that hit the airwaves that was so beautiful. She asked around and a musician at a nightclub told her who wrote the song. So she met up with Ajahn Salsang Sarivan. And she asked him, can you write a song for me? I live in Cambodia and I miss 
my motherland. I miss Vientiane. I miss my family, friends, and relatives. He was so honored being asked to write a song for her. Mum Manivan was one of the six concubines for the king of Cambodia. She missed home dearly, like a little bird locked up in a golden cage. And that's exactly how the lyrics was presented in Bolum Vientiane. It's such a beautiful piece of music that touches people from all over the world because it spoke about even though I no longer live there, you are still my motherland, you are still in my heart. That's beautiful. All right, so I don't know about you, but I started getting reactions to yesterday's show about school vouchers pretty much as soon as we were off air. Yes, uh, this is a hot-button topic for a lot of folks, and there is at least one very spirited argument that we're tagged in that is still going a day later. R.I.P. to our mentions, am I right? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's a Halloween horror story for you. But anyway, but do add us. Um, and in any event, uh, any event, the the conversation in our Twitter feed lines up pretty well with the conversation we had on air. Lots of people very strongly public money should go to public schools. A lot of people very strongly schools should be more like businesses. Give me choice, etc. Um, during the show yesterday, State Rep. John Ray Clemens tweeted at us. Listening to pro-voucher nonsense on This Is Nashville is absolutely painful. This pro-voucher mouthpiece claiming it's not about the money is laughable. Guess how much he's getting paid and by whom? Their effort to undermine public education in Tennessee is a serious threat. Wow, not mincing a single word there. I guess he's talking about Shaka Mitchell from the Tennessee Federation for Children. Yes. Um, and further down in the thread, uh, Elise Lamar tweeted at us, usually not a f- usually a fan, but disappointed in This is Nashville. Seems this should have been disclosed on the program. We have reached out to Elise to clarify what she thinks we should have disclosed. I, I think, guessing from the thread, it has something to do with the amount that he's compensated by the organization. Just want to say that we did introduce Shaka as the director of state strategy and advocacy for the Tennessee Federation for Children. And our very first question to him was, what is your organization's stance on school vouchers? Mm-hmm. All right. That is This Is Nashville senior producer, Steve Harouche. Steve, thanks for this roundup. Sure thing. Uh, Anna will be back next week. But right now, I need to head back to the other side of the glass. Okay, we got this. Don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram and let us, you know, keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It is super easy and quick, and it helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear from two people living with disabilities about what it's like to navigate the disability benefit system. Stay with us. This is Nashville. This is Citizen Nashville. 
Disability income benefits can be absolutely vital for those who are eligible for them. These come in the form of supplemental security income and social security disability insurance. But applying for these benefits can be complicated. And the benefits themselves are often not enough to live on. They also include limits on how much a person can save or earn. To learn more about what it's like to navigate the disability benefits system here in Middle Tennessee, I'm joined by Rachel Kessner. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you so much. Rachel, you have cerebral palsy and use a wheelchair. Is that right? Yes. CP is basically... If you want to, uh, yeah. having a stroke when before old enough to have memories to relearn. Mm. It's a lack of oxygen to the brain, which then causes motor impairments. And can cause things like seizures, although thank goodness, not in my case. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. So, Rachel, what has the process of navigating disability benefits been like for you? Well, I was not actually aware of when... They were applied for for me because I've pretty much had them my whole entire life. But it's a pain in the neck now that I'm over 18 because it's, um, for instance, were I to get a job, it would restrict me to only doing part-time work because my medical insurance is also connected to that and I can only make two thousand a month or all or a year excuse me or I can't uh, get my wheelchair fixed mm. which would make it harder for me to work which starts a whole domino effect. It's not all that fun to deal with. Tell me real quick, how, like, does the amount you receive cover the cost of living expenses like rent, groceries, and utilities? Uh, they think it does. It does not. Hmm. You said they think it does. Wow. How much of a struggle has that been for you? Well, currently, I'm... Lucky enough that I live with my parents and um, I don't have to pay for utilities and stuff. But were I to rent a place, most of the places that I've looked at recently are $900 at minimum and that's just the rent itself. That's not counting utilities, so my check would be completely gone. Mm, I understand. Now, you mentioned this before, but I understand that your benefits are tied to your Medicare. You know, what does, yeah. that, what does that mean for you? 
that um, for instance, it means that I can't get. I've been with the same guy for a decade. We can't get married. You get because, you, yeah. Why can't you get married? Because um, uh, when you get married, they assume that your spouse's income is in part of your income. So if he makes even a even minimum wage, uh, that would take me over the two thousand limit. Um, in a month, not even a year, which would make it near impossible to pay for any repairs needed on my chair. You know, and the new chair costs like twenty grand. You know, tell me this. This sounds, and I understand. You know, this all sounds incredibly frustrating. How does it make you feel that you get, one, very little money for your benefits, two, you've been with your partner for 10 years, you guys would like to get married, but you can't because you could possibly lose your benefits. How do you feel about that? It's total crap. Hmm. It makes it, it's, we say second class citizenry doesn't exist anymore. And the people that say that are not the ones that would be considered second class. Mm. Because I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even consider myself second class at this point because I can't even. Yeah. They don't. It seems like they want us to just die. And as morbid and as drastic as that seems, I know it does. Uh, it does, but if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. You know, answer this for me. What about people who don't have family around to help them? Then I would hope that they're that they're lucky enough to have friends to fill that gap, or, or uh, the ones that don't. Oftentimes, they end up in nursing homes or going through social services programs that may or may not catch them adequately. Those cracks are bigger than you think they are. I'd like to bring in my next guest, Hazy Pete. And Hazy, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Hazy, you live with seizures, is that right? Yes, that's right. What's it like? to live with seizures? It can be quite the roller coaster because I don't really ever know what kind of day I'm going to have. Planning things in advance always creates a level of anxiety because 
you know, there's just no telling what day that might be. Um, and mine rarely tend to be the big movie scene type of seizures. They're much more subtle than that. Um, which is part of why, you know, I actually thought they were migraines. I thought they were like auras to migraines and that I was just like really struggling to be a human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but they, they vary in intensity and it varies uh, how long it takes to recover from that. And that just, it creates a challenge in almost every single aspect of my life. <laughs> mm. You know, tell me, what has the process of applying for disability benefits been like for you? It has been insane. Feels like an understatement. It feels um, like a lot of hoop jumping and you, uh, you know, even somebody coming from an able-bodied and able-minded situation would struggle to meet some of these types of deadlines and consistent, uh, you know, oh, we need more paperwork. Oh, it's this paperwork. Oh, the deadlines are, you missed it. Um, it feels very frivolous. And knowing that somebody is already struggling with a disability, it feels very backwards. Mm. Now, you know, Rachel was saying, expressing her frustration, saying that it feels like you, there People who are applying for disability benefits are treated like second class citizens. And, you know, she said that it feels like they want you to just, just to die. You know? uh, and I know I'm sure for some people that has to sound, you know, very dramatic. But that is the experience I actually identify with the, you know, it doesn't seem like they care if we survive or not. Um, if anything, it seems like that would be easier on the system, so to speak. You definitely are made to feel like you are a drain on the system. Um, these benefits, these tools that are supposed to be here for this exact purpose feel impossible to access. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kalia Lake We're talking this hour about navigating disability benefits here in Tennessee. Now, Hazy, I mean, what is it? mean to recertify for benefits? What is that practice process like? It's almost like the exact same trying to get your original approval. Um, it can be a little bit easier sometimes. Uh, I have not had a good experience with that. They actually came back and told me they were not going to renew my benefits. Why did they tell you that? What was their reasoning? Their reasoning was that I'm a mom. They said that being a primary caretaker of children uh, did not align with their definition of being disabled. But you previously received benefits when they knew that you had children. Yes, yes. I was a mom the whole time. Um, so it was really baffling to me. And when I responded with that, so far I've gotten nothing but, you know, um, one extension after another, or, you know, at this point, what they've basically told me is that I would, you know, need to take legal action against them. Are you, and are you considering that? I am considering it. Um, they, of course, you know, they're, you know, that's scary. That, that feels like a lot of things. It was already so much to just try to apply and stay within the guidelines that they required. And so to then try to take on this extra battle feels really 
unjust. It feels really unfair. And that's hard to reckon with sometimes. You know, what do you think people don't understand about the disability benefit system here in Tennessee? I think that they tend to think that it's kind of a scam in the opposite direction. They think that people are just living off disability and they don't need it. And I don't think they realize how difficult it really is to even get those benefits to start with. Um, So the people who are getting them absolutely need them. And we actually have many, many more citizens and civilians and people in the community who need these benefits. Have you thought of ever ever thought about, you know, approaching state representatives and, you know, our elected leaders who are the ones who can help with this solution? I have. I have um, from I haven't gotten feedback yet. No one has returned any of my um, outreaches just yet. But that. What was that, Rachel? Good luck with that. Mm. <laughs> when I was. In 2005, when I was trying to go through college, uh, the governor at the time, who is not Billy, but is still a Republican, changed the uh, laws around who was allowed to have a personal care attendant. And which cut me out of it, which meant that I could no longer go to school. And so I started uh, trying to get an answer out of the governor's office. All I got was boilerplate emails and shunted from the secretary to the, the, from the actual governor's secretary to the secretary of health and back and forth for two months. And I never actually talked to an actual person. Well, let me ask you this, Rachel. What do you think people don't understand about the disability benefit system here in our state? Um, They assume that it covers more than it does. And they assume that it allows people using it to thrive when it is basically... Uh, we we work we work the mass out. My check is runs is less than uh, minimum wage, so I'm still earning way below poverty level, and people who don't have to deal with it. Just assume that, you know, that we're getting hands, a handout and are able to eat $10 meals in restaurants. Mm-hmm. When now we're lucky if we can get Subway once a month. You know, 
Hazy, what can be done to improve this system? I think one of the main things is preventative health care altogether. I think a lot of things that are actually um, disabling to a lot of people, they are living with. They think that it's normal to be in pain consistently, and it's not. Um, I think that would be one of a great way. And I think, you know, streamlining the enrollment process would be amazing. And for it to be way more through maybe the healthcare system, you know, your doctors can file some of that paperwork and that be part of the enrollment instead of it being on the disabled person to jump through all these hoops. That was Hazy Peden. She was joined by Rachel Kessner. I want to thank you both for being on the show and sharing your experiences. Good luck to both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with experts who can share insights on how the system works and where it can improve. Do you have questions about how to access disability benefits? Where are you finding challenges? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Citizen Nashville. We just heard from some folks who are struggling to retain their disability benefits, but they aren't the only ones. The process is complicated. Does it have to be? How does the system really work? What are the best ways to go about obtaining disability benefits if you qualify? My next guests are here to help answer those questions and more. Then join the conversation. If you have a question about disability benefits, we want to hear from you. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Marissa Smith Fletcher is an independent living specialist with Empowered Tennessee, an independent living nonprofit. And Kevin Wright is the Assistant Commissioner of Rehabilitation Services with the Tennessee Department of Human Services. Marissa, Kevin, thanks for being with us and welcome to This is Nashville. Hello. Thank you for the invitation. Really appreciate both of you being here. Marissa, can you tell us what you do at Empower Tennessee? So I'm an independent living specialist, and I help individuals with disabilities um, reach their independent living goals to stay independent. Um, we are a nonprofit agency that is created by people with disabilities for individuals dis with disabilities. How does Empower help people after the initial application process for benefits? So, <laughs> well, that could be answering certain questions, helping them receive supports while they are waiting for their determination from Social Security. It can also be um, if someone is going back to work and they've received their benefits, helping them navigate what's going to happen to their benefits when they go back into the workforce. Okay, so it's a long list of things that you all offer. Yes. Kevin, can you tell us more about your role? Absolutely. The Division of Rehabilitation Services is responsible for a lot of disability-related programs for the Department of Human Services, including employment, independent living, assistive technology, and disability determination. We do the disability determination based on the very specific and stringent requirements for and at the direction of the Social Security Administration. 
Okay, so just to be clear, you work for the state's arm of disability services and not the Social Security Administration, which is the federal arm. So can you tell us what the state controls versus what the federal government controls with disability benefits? Absolutely. So the process of, of disability starts with making an application with the Social Security Administration. So all of the process begins and ends with the Social Security Administration. The application process is then sent to us to determine eligibility based on all of the very specific requirements and criteria using medical evidence and all of the evidence we need to determine whether or not an individual qualifies based on the Social Security rules. Once we have made that determination, it goes back to the Social Security Administration, who then determines benefits, when they start, when they end. So we're in the middle of determining that eligibility. We have about 300 staff dedicated. They're very compassionate and dedicated folks to making an accurate determination. That's the overall process. All right, let's hear from some of the community about the difficulties they are having. Latanya Jenkins wrote in, quote, I have an autistic adult son. As soon as he turned 21, I applied for choices and they denied him. I, I've done this alone with my son and just want a little help for him to have a life in an adult care center. I need help, but they say I need a babysitter, even though he's been disabled since the age two and in 2018 started having seizures. It's awful for me, end quote. Marissa, what can LaTanya do to find an adult care center for her son? Ooh, wow, that is a hard question. Um, so, so she's reached out and tried to apply for choices. So with that, she is going to really be doing some digging and navigating for herself. Why is uh, that? Well, it's just all about what's available. So she could reach out to agencies like us. She can look for some supports and then hope for something better and hope that there is not a waiting, a long waiting list mm. for her to achieve what she's wanting for her son. You know, that, I'm sorry, continue. Um, so there's agencies like, so when she applied for choices, she could have also reached out to uh, GNRC. That is an agency that helps people apply for those choices benefits. So if she's needing assistance, which might help the application along, you know, um, reaching out to those individuals and those agencies. Now, are adult care centers, are they experiencing a shortage of available spaces? Yes. Mm. And there is a shortage in help. Okay. In employees doing the work. Another parent wrote into us saying that disability services are weak in Tennessee. Their adult child has been waiting for assistive technology for nearly a year. In their opinion, the application process and approval process is too long. So, Kevin, what is the timeline for benefits? So the timeline for disability determination, and I want to be clear that what we're talking about is disability determination for the Social Security Administration. It sounds like your Twitter follower had a different kind of question, but I can tell you that on average, it takes us approximately 240 days to make a determination. So we always want to do better. We want to go as quickly as possible, but we also want to be accurate. And we have to go through lots of very specific and complex 
medical documentation and evidence to make the right call. 240 days is a long time. What if someone were in what we would call an emergency situation? Is there any way to expedite that process? That would be a, a question that the Social Security Administration would need to answer. And unfortunately, that's probably going to be a lot of what I refer to as we move forward, is that we only control the process from Social Security through the determination. What I can say is that in, we encourage people, if they want to move forward faster, to always follow up timely when we request more documentation or other things like going to a medical appointment that we request in order to gain additional documentation and medical evidence. That will help us with our process to go even faster and avoid delays. Now, Marissa, as far as what this is, this parent needed, you know, waiting for assistive technology for a year, where should they go? Wow, she could reach out to agencies like us and we could sort of, we could do some of that navigation with her. So we would ask certain questions and see what agencies might be available and have funding to help her in those times. Um, when they're, uh, it's so hard. Mm. So th that's another thing. It's peer support. It's having natural supports. It's reaching out. It's talking to legislators. It's reaching out to Tennessee Disability Coalition and advocating for yourself about what this wait list is, what it means to you, what it means to your family. So going those extra set steps and continuing the fight, continuing getting what you need for you or your family. Now, this parent who told us that the process takes way too long mm -hmm. goes on to say that they cannot get a job due to the demands of being the primary caregiver yes. for their child. Yet in Tennessee, it's nearly impossible for them to get paid as the primary caregiver. They feel like the red tape is, in their words, ridiculous. So, you know, how can families be expected to survive when they have to forfeit employment to be the primary caregiver to a loved one, but the state won't help compensate them for that action? Well, I do believe that there are some shifts in Tennessee with helping families um, be become be get paid or have funds while they are the caregiver for their child. I am working with individuals who have had to be steadfast in applying and keeping up with documentation, resending things over. But Tennessee is changing and moving towards that direction. So it's all about keeping at it and trying when it feels so hard and frustrating and annoying. Mm. Kevin, is this a case where your hands are basically tied by the federal guidelines? Related to disability determination, potentially, but we have multiple programs in our division that provide a lot of the things we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Assistive technology, independent living, and we can provide and provide guidance and support for those folks that have some of those challenges, including going to work. Mm -hmm. So I encourage folks that are interested in things outside of disability determination to go to the Department of Human Services website and go to our division. And there's a list of things that we could certainly have conversation about. And I agree with Kevin. You really need to look for agencies that help 
an aid in those, you know, those circumstances. So you look and you dig and you reach out because they're out there. Tennessee is actually growing so much and Nashville is doing wonders in the disability population. Just for listeners, we will have a list of those resources on this episode's post at thisisnashville.org. We got this message from S. Morgan, quote, I'm disabled and can't work. I ruptured my neck and have spinal cord damage. I receive just under $1,000 a month to survive with. It nearly pays the bills, but only because I live so cheaply. Get some food at pantries. If it wasn't for that, I would starve. For some reason, I don't qualify for SNAP benefits, although I can't afford to feed myself. It's strange seeing people receive so much in unemployment and debt forgiveness, etc., while disabled starve and go homeless. Now, Kevin, we've seen this situation a lot where someone who doesn't work can't get the benefits to fulfill their basic needs like eating. I know you can't speak to any specific cases, but in general, why are some people limited in the benefits that they can receive? We don't determine those benefits, so we can provide all kinds of resources and help people find the right path forward, but we don't make any of the determinations of the level of benefit or type of benefit. It really is, we're compassionate folks that want to help, and our team really does work hard to do that. So I, again, encourage folks to go to the Department of Human Services website, and we can figure out ways to assist. We just don't have the ability to make any difference or change for those benefit levels. That's all the Social Security Administration. Marissa, do you know of any resources? As far as? For this situation of someone who just hmm. is not really getting enough, who doesn't necessarily qualify for SNAP, even though they can't afford food. You know, she's doing all the right things. She said, as an independent living specialist, what I would have told her to do, apply for SNAP. Then I would have asked her to um, make an appeal with SNAP. I would have also asked her to go to food pantries, reach out to Second Harvest, um, I would also like look at her budget, figure out ways. What can we do to shift that? And Salvation Army, Catholic Charities, there are agencies out there that might be able to offer some financial assistance during those hardship months. If you're just tuning in, this is Citizen Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about disability benefits. We want to hear your questions. If you or someone you know is having difficulty with disability benefits, tweet us at This Is Nashville. Now, we got a voiceless message from listener Larry Bell out in Dershard, Tennessee. He said his brother-in-law has had trouble getting financial assistance to help with necessary accessibility modifications around the house. Let's listen. Our brother-in-law has come to live with us from Louisiana. He's had cerebral palsy since he was a baby. The problem is, is that he can not have, he does not have use of his legs. And so he has to crawl up our stairs and was looking for some type of help for a ramp to be built while they spend $500 million on a stadium. We've got somebody that has to crawl into the house. You can hear oh, La yeah. Larry's frustration there, you know, and as we heard Rachel in Hazy's frustration earlier in the show, Marissa, is this a common sentiment from the clients you work with? All the time. Mm. And it is... 
Whew, it's hard to hear. Um, and depending on where they live, um, depends on what social services might be available to them. Um, so that if someone called me with that situation, first thing I'm going to ask them is, where do you live? Unfortunately, how much money are you making? Um, and then I'm going to try to look for agencies that might be able to help them. Um, yeah, but this happens all the time, and it's a definite gap in our state. How can people find calm when they're faced with such desperate situations? Mm. Support, family, friends, uh, agencies like us who have peer support groups. So you are reaching out to peers and you are seeing people like you having that shared experience that might help uplift you and see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel because there is strife, there is frustration. And sometimes in that, when you're in it, you only feel like it's happening to you. Mm -hmm. But actually having some sort of natural support and contact makes you have a network and you build and you keep pushing forward. Because with a lot of my clients, they stop, they give up. They don't, you know, it's like there's nothing at the end. But there is. It's all about the work and going hard at it and speaking to the agencies, speaking to this uh, sort of bureaucratic system. You have to stand up for yourself in it. You have to advocate for yourself, especially if you're a person with a disability. What do you have to say to lawmakers out there who could potentially influence at least the funding for these institutions? Hmm. I... I would hope that they would really understand what, why Social Security even started, you know, mm -hmm. something that happened in what, 1935, like the New Deal, like, the, like this was from that. And so it's like, this is for citizens. All of our citizens get a Social Security number. It is your birthright. We are paying into this system. So understanding that it's for us, by us. And we're here to support each other. This nation needs these supports and this access because this is access for humanity. Mm -hmm. Now, Kevin, as you mentioned, the folks you work with are compassionate and want to help. So what's your advice for people filing for disability benefits? I think it's just understanding that we work as hard as we can to make the appropriate determinations based on all of the guidelines that are provided by the Social Security Administration. We also have other programs, as I, I mentioned, that I really would love to be able to talk about in a future show that really address some of the other things that have been brought up. How does it feel for you? You know, you work in this institution and you hear stories of people who are struggling to make it by and you know, we understand that your hands may be tied to a certain point about as far as how much you can do for people. How, how does it feel being in that position? It's challenging to hear some of the stories, but as an individual with a disability myself, I understand the challenges that folks face. That's partly why I do what I do. I want to make a difference. And everyone on my team wants to make that difference. So it's hard to hear. We understand the realities. But things like this, this conversation about the process is the way that we help people move forward and get the things that they need. You know, Rachel Kessner was on the show earlier. She lives with cerebral palsy and she uses a motorized wheelchair to move around. She's got a partner of 10 years 
And she said they would, they would like to get married, but they can't. Because if they do tie the knot, their benefits would go away, even though their partner makes close to minimum wage. Can either of you explain that policy for us? Oh, wow. Um, that is a long conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and we have four minutes left. So what I would say to her is... A, if she's looking to go back to work, if she's wanting to get married, to actually speak to someone who's like a benefits counselor, um, so who can give her some ideas of what to do and how she can prepare. But that is a regulation by Social Security because how they determine eligibility and what your benefits are is by income or how much you've paid into the system. And that is determined by Social Security and no one else. Mm-hmm. And so just like in life, it's like, well, we got to figure out what we need to do or how we can address that to maybe shift or do the thing that we long to do. Sounds like we have a lot more to talk about on this topic and guaranteed that we'll be addressing it. Kevin, we've got about 30 seconds left. Is there one of those programs you mentioned that you'd like to shout out right now? Absolutely. Our vocational rehabilitation program that assists people in going to work. Tell us a little bit more about it. It helps job seekers find the jobs that meet their skills and abilities in the community at competitive wages. We work really hard to get people jobs in the VR program. All right. I want to thank you both so much for being with us. That was Kevin Wright, Assistant Commissioner of Rehabilitation Services with the Tennessee Department of Human Services. He was joined by Marissa Smith-Fletcher with Empower Tennessee. Thanks to both of you for being with us today. and Thank you for the work that you do. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we'll learn about William Edmondson, the self-taught, world-renowned sculptor and Nashville native who was the first African-American artist to have a solo show at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope, who is hopefully on the mend. Shout out to our intern, Tori Hoover, and the masterminds behind our theme music, LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Brenda Waybrand. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other. <laughs>